there was a young boy and his sister, a six-year-old and I think a four-year-old, who were out in their neighborhood playing, and a German shepherd started charging after this four-year-old girl. And this little boy named Bridger Walker ran in front of the dog and allowed the dog to chomp on his face. He kept moving whenever the dog would try and get his sister and moving and moving until finally someone was able to come and remove this German shepherd off this boy. And while this young man was being interviewed, and I say young man because whenever you say what this child said, you become a man. He said, I just figured if someone was going to die that day, it should be me, not my sister. He got these people calling him, these notoriety throughout the world. All the Avengers called him. I mean, the real Captain America called him. Spider-Man and Iron Man called him and just talked about how he was so brave and courageous. And the reason that they did this is because young Bridger saw a problem and he stepped right in front of it. Today, we're going to be talking about how when we as a church see problems, instead of turning a blind eye to it or hoping that they just go away, that it is our call and our duty and our responsibility to protect the church family. It is our job and our responsibility to step in front of problems and, and deal with them and make sure they go away because if we don't, this is what I believe with all my heart, our church will die. If we don't step in front of controversy and problems, there will be this erosion from the inside out, which is why time after time, church after church, you see churches closing their doors. If you have your Bible, please turn to Titus chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 10 and walk through verse 16. Last week we left off in verse 9, and as we just go through the book of Titus, you're going to see this theme coming forth time and time again that if we can believe right, that will help us live right. And as we believe and live, we will understand how we can live God's way in crazy days. What was going on in the book of Titus was the church in Crete was a terrible, awful, no good church. They were filled with bad people, bad teachers. They had a bad reputation. And they had just kind of run amok with all different kinds of problems. And so Titus was charged by Paul to address these problems within the church. And as he addresses it, he learns certain things that he's supposed to do. In verse 10, this is what the, the passage says. It says, for there are many who are in, insubordinate. He's talking about the church members in Crete, the people in Crete. Many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Any of y'all ever had that said about you? You know, that so-and-so, they're always liars. They are an evil beast. They are lazy gluttons. I mean, this is kind of like what you would hear in Washington, D.C., one party to the other, right? Verse 13, this testimony is true. Since they have this terrible reputation, and just understand it's true. We know it, it is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be, be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to the Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. Verse 14, 
or 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What we see in this passage is Paul is starting off by addressing problematic people. He's saying this church, these people, the Cretans, are a problem that must be dealt with. They're a problem because they are rebellious. They are a problem because they are just empty in their hearts. They are a problem because they are deceitful. What they were lacking was the presence of the Spirit of God in their life. And because they did not have the Spirit of God in their life, they didn't do what the Spirit of God was leading to them to do. They went according to their own flesh. Because they were void of the Spirit of God. They didn't follow the, the teachings of the Word of God. They didn't follow the, the Scripture. They didn't follow anything in their life. They were empty of the Spirit's control. And they lied to themselves. And they lied to others. And the worst part about this is they had truth right in front of them. They were told what to do, and instead of doing what they should do, they acted like wild animals. I don't know if you've ever seen these signs. I find them really funny and humorous. Whenever you have like a do not climb on the rocks, and then you've got a goat on the rocks, right? Or you got a bird saying, nobody on the sign, the bird's right there. A dog, I don't know how the dog gets up there, but simple things that you would expect of animals, or maybe small children, which are also sometimes referred to as animals, to break these simple rules. But when it comes to adults, like we should know better. Like one of these is funny. I don't know if you can see the dad holding his uh, son's hand with a no. I don't, I don't even understand why that's a rule. But this one right here kind of speaks to human nature. Do not climb, play on, or around the pipe. And you just got everybody on it, right? Rebellious for no reason at all. But understand this. When we are not controlled by the Spirit, we will go our own way. When the Spirit of God does not control our hearts, we will be a problem for the people in our life. When the Spirit is not leading and guiding and directing our steps, the Word of God has no power on our lives because we don't care what it says if we're not controlled by the Spirit. And this was the core problem of the Christians. They did their own thing. They had no regard for the Holy Spirit. Instead of feeding the Spirit, they fed their flesh. Instead of starving the, the, their flesh, they fed their flesh. They consumed thoughts of the world, and they were always a problem because God was not clearly evident in their life. And then on top of this, he addresses another group of people. He says, and, and be careful of the, the Jewish converts, also known as the Judaizers. See, the Judaizers in Crete were the religious people. They were the ones who had been taught the Torah. They were the ones who knew the religious law. They were the ones that, although they had missed Jesus initially, had seen that Jesus had came and died, and they believed in Jesus, but instead of receiving the gift of salvation, salvation by grace through faith they held on to all the religious law now it seems ridiculous to me that if we've been freed from all kinds of religiosity 
if we've been freed from dietary laws, if we've been freed from circumcision laws, if we've been freed from all of these things that we would put them on ourselves and everyone else. The way that we wore clothes. Basically an effort to earn salvation. If we have moved beyond that into Christ dying for us and all we have to do is receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, it seems crazy that we would cling to the old way. But what the Judaizers were doing is not only did they maintain all of the Jewish laws and all of the Jewish customs and all of the Jewish celebrations, they insisted that new converts do the same. They put works on top of grace. In order for you to be saved, you have to do these certain things. Christ was not sufficient in their brain. Christ plus works equaled salvation for them. Now, it's funny whenever we look at a church thousands of years ago that this was written to, that it was addressed to 2,000 years ago, and we see that there was religious expectations on top of salvation that some people who were in the church still haven't learned this lesson. One of the saddest days that I've ever had in ministry, I remember it, and it was in a previous church where I served, we were reaching some rough teenagers. The skater crowd. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, they just have a reputation of being vandals. And if I'm going to be fair, like, most of them were unkept. Most of them were dirty. They smelled weird. They looked weird. But, man, they were coming to church. We were baptizing 70, 80, 90 people a year in this one ministry. Time after time. But there was a problem with these young people. You know what the problem was? They were dirty, and they dirtied up the building. They were unkept, and the building became more and more unkept, like we had to keep repainting the walls. We had to keep wiping down certain things. They didn't talk the right way, and so sometimes they, they just didn't rub people the right way. And I, I'll never forget, we're in a business meeting, and somebody stood up and basically said, these kids need to shape up or ship out. We need to shut this ministry down if they can't learn how to act. And I remember like standing up thinking, what do you think we're here for? We're not here for the people who have it all together. I mean, we are reaching the very people that Christ called us to reach. The, the beat down. The unfortunate. Those who have never heard of Jesus. These people who have no love in their life. It's not that they're, they're dirty and unkept. It's that they're home. They, they might have parents at home. They might live with their grandparents or be crashing on a couch. They need our help and our love. And who are we if we reject them? The good news for you and the good news for me and the good news for everyone is that we don't have to clean up to be accepted and loved by God. We are loved by God and he transforms us from the inside out. We don't come to Jesus once we get everything figured out. We come to Jesus, and he helps us figure everything out. And that's what the early church was missing. This idea that Christ died for them, and in Christ they could be made new. They couldn't let go of their past and cling to Christ. They had to put their rules and regulations, their expectations on everyone else. They were a problem. But we see this problematic response here as we continue in verse 13 and 14. See, the problematic response is something that we know and we understand. We just don't like to address. It says, therefore, this testimony is true. Therefore, 
rebuke them sharply. All these problem people, all these people running, like all these people causing problems within the church family, within the community, rebuke them sharply, firmly, directly, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. What we see very, very clearly is that problem people must be silenced. They must be dealt with. They were disrupting the households. And so imagine somebody going around the church, spreading rumors, talking about different people, creating issues within the church family. Imagine the, the little person that goes around and complains about every deacon and complains about every teacher, complains about every staff member, complains about the budget, complains about the pastor, complains about the music, complains about the AC. Just constantly complaining. Creating negativity within the church. Creating dissension within the church. Nothing but a problem. They were not only disrupting the church family, they were teaching false doctrine. I know Jesus said this, but that doesn't really apply to us today because Jesus didn't understand that things are different now. There would be this terminology when Jesus would be talking about how the Son of Man had not even a place to lay his head, that God wants you to be happy and he wants you to be wealthy and he wants you to prosper financially nothing new under the sun this false doctrine that goes against the very nature of scripture and jesus's own words which is why the the church had people that were looking to profit off of dishonest gain just looking for someone to take advantage of you see it today too if you turn on the right television show you'll just have that seed of faith gift and the more you give the more the lord will bless you that's not scriptural. It is a false doctrine that leads people away from the church. And what we see here is that we have no choice but to rebuke such problem people sharply. And we rebuke them to correct. I, I want to go back to the, to the text right here real quick because it gives us this motivation. It says, therefore rebuke them sharply. And then it says that they may be sound in the faith. We don't rebuke because it's fun to drop kick people, right? We don't rebuke because it's fun to get in an argument with somebody, right? We don't rebuke because it makes us feel good to correct people. We rebuke for the purpose that they might be sound in their faith. And please understand this. We have no choice but to rebuke people who are corrupt. We have no choice as a church, as leadership, as Christian brothers and sisters, but to rebuke those who are causing problems. Because if we don't, what happens is those problems spread. If we have people creating issue after issue and they go unchecked, it kind of becomes this entitlement that they can say whatever they want, that they can do whatever they want. And remember, the people doing this are void of the Spirit. They're controlled by their own flesh anyway. And in their mind, they think, I'm right. So I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to let everybody know how dumb this person is or how dumb that person is or how bad of a decision this is or the direction that we're going is wrong. 
There's no, no choice but to rebuke them. But not because it's fun. In fact, it's not. Because let me tell you what happens 98% of the time. Whenever there's somebody causing a problem, and we go to them, and we say, look, there's an issue here. What you're saying is harmful to the body of Christ. What you're doing is creating dissension within the unity of the church. What happens more times than not is after they have this conversation, they reject whatever it is you're saying, and then they continue to go around and say, you're not going to believe what Cole said to me. He said that it was wrong of me to trash my deacon. He said it was wrong of me to trash Julie and Hunter. He said it was wrong of me to talk to people in my connect group about how stupid everyone is. Can you believe he would do that? He is prideful and arrogant, and he's the real problem here. See, when we address it, we're afraid of the collateral damage that will happen if we do what Scripture tells us to do. But understand this, if we don't address it, we become cowards to the Word of God. I mean, just by nature, there's going to be an issue one way or the other. And so I want to just kind of call out the Scripture that says, To him who knows what is right and does it not, to him it is counted sin. And so do you want to have a problem doing things God's way or do you want to have a problem doing things out of fear and really not doing anything at all? One of my favorite things about the apostles in the early church is how they had no problem calling people out for their sins. I don't know if you ever have read through Colossians or Ephesians, Galatians, like even in Paul's own letter in the pastoral epistles in 2 Timothy 4, he just kind of goes head on with the problem. He says this, For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens, has gone to Galatia, Titus, uh, to Demacia. He's saying, look, these are my people, and I just want you to know that one of them has just followed out, going according to his own flesh, doing his own thing, doing what he likes, putting himself first. John does the same thing. John, right, the beloved disciple, the disciple who Jesus loves. Third John says this, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to, wait, yeah, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Saying, look, I am trying to help the church, but we've got this one guy who's constantly being a problem. Can you imagine, like, being a part of the early church? And you get this letter from the leader who everyone loves and admires and respects. And they start reading and all of a sudden he calls you out by name. I mean, there's a a certain point to where we've got to kind of learn from that example. I mean, how many of y'all would feel comfortable if I started the sermon next week and be like, all right, here's the deal. We're just going to deal with the sins in the church. Richard Crank, we're starting with you. I mean, Richard would be like, how far back are we going to go? But that's what the early church did. They, they dealt with it. But please keep in mind, we rebuke, we correct for the hope of right faith. We rebuke not to be mean or hateful or hurtful. We rebuke for the good of that individual and the good of the church. Because whenever we have right believing and right understanding, that leads us to right living. 
1 Timothy 1-2 gives us yet another thing of this. It says, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Another person in the church that he just addresses head on. And then we have like Matthew chapter 18, talking about conflict with one another, conflict within brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to summarize it for you, but Matthew 18 basically says that whenever you have a matter of conflict between another brother or sister in Christ, whenever there's an issue and someone sins against you, it is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to go to that person individually. You have a problem, you go to that individual. If that doesn't work, if the conflict is not resolved, then you need to take two or three people with you and for the, the sake of unification, for the sake of Christian harmony, for the sake of the testimony of the church, you take two or three people with you and you address that problem head on. For the purpose of bringing people back into harmony and right relationship with one another. If that doesn't work, if somebody's still in rebellious and they're still living according to their flesh, you bring the issue to the church. And one of our favorite verses that we love to quote, talking about how God controls us and his presence is here with us. If we go back to that, to that text real quick, is Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. And it's talking about dealing with conflict in the church. It's not talking about prayer. It's not talking about meeting. It's talking about having unity within the church. It's talking about being the, the kind of people that will honor God even in hardships, even in problems. It says that if you do this, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And then he says this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I want you to understand this in a different way. If you have a problem or a conflict with somebody in the church and you don't go to them individually, God is not present with you. If you have a problem that remains unresolved and you don't take that to two or three people, God is not with you in your problem. The Spirit is not controlling you. If you have a problem that goes unresolved by two or three people and you don't take it to the church, God is not present in that situation. And whenever you take a step back and, and you think about how gossip starts and derails the church, when you take a, a step back and hear how rumors and chatter hurt the church, you can see it very evidently. And so just be the kind of people, all of us, right, that could live out Matthew chapter 18. And then in verse 15 and 16, it continues on and it shows us the, the impact of this, of these people that are not living God's way. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This idea of being detestable, unfit, gives us this clear picture and indication that there's certain things we can look at to find out if we're the problem or not. This week, Christy had a COVID test. And in the COVID test, I'm just going to tell you, if, if you're having to get one, I'm going to tell you uh, kind of the two or three options that you have. Option number one 
is they're going to take a, a, like a big long Q-tip and they're going to swab the back of your throat. It's real pleasant if you like to gag and have things scratching the back of your throat. It's really awesome. Option number two is they're going to take that same stick and they're going to scratch your brain with it through your nose. <laughs> Another just completely unpleasant thing. And option number three is they're going to take your blood. And then they look at it, and as they look at it, they're able to determine whether or not you have it. Now, my wife didn't get it because she had symptoms. She had surgery to fix her nose, right? The broken nose. No big deal. Uh, they did the throat thing, by the way. They didn't go up her nose, although they started to. And she goes, are you really going to do that at my broken nose? But what we, we see is, is the church here is given an indication of what they're to look for because corruption is seen in detestable hypocrisy. To say that we love God and to do things to undermine the church, they don't coexist. To say that Jesus is the Lord of my life, but to live our own way, not controlled by the Spirit, is not something that coexists. Disobedient actions. To like have commands of God to love and build up and just to act with hatred and animosity, they don't coexist. To be impure in mind and heart. But to say that you identify with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, they just don't mesh. And this is, is what we know through this, is that our conduct really does speak volumes about what we believe. And this is the test for us as believers. How are we acting? How are we living? Like when people talk about you, when you think about your reputation, your, your friends, your, your close friends, not the people you just say hi to at church, I'm talking about the people that know you. Do they define you as one who is constantly negative? Or do they define you as one who is positive, who sees the good? Whenever you're, you're thinking about church, that, the things that are going on, are you defined as one who's a whiner complaining about every little thing we have to do as a church, all the rules, all the regulations that nobody likes? Are we constantly down or are we just praising God for his faithfulness that are new every morning? Are we one who complains about everything or are we one who might see an issue that needs to be resolved and we just take it to God in prayer? Are we one who likes to, to, to chat it up and tell everybody every little thing, that every little fault that we see in other people or are we one who just kind of has patience for truthful with one another? Are we one who our actions and our words and our testimony are divisive? Or are we one who works for the unity of the church? I think for me, and I think for us as a church, we really got to address this problem. I would say the first thing that we need to do is we, we really need to check ourselves. Maybe we could take a, a mental inventory about the conversations that we've had with others over the past week or two. Do we automatically assume the worst about everyone else or do we have patience and understanding and assume the best can I be transparent here my default is to assume the worst my desire is to be like Julie Tomko and assume the best where's our we, we just gotta check our second thing I would say is check your friends one of the most misunderstood truths in all of the Bible is this concept to where we say we cannot judge others. We should not judge anyone else. Within the Christian family, whenever we talk about don't judge me, 
We don't understand what Ephesians 5 was talking about. Ephesians 5 says, out of reverence for Christ, we are to submit to one another. I think it's verse 21. I might be wrong. I think it's in my notes. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, I don't have to submit to the deacons out of reverence for the deacons. But I'll gladly submit to Richard Crank out of reverence for Christ. I don't have to, to say, you know, Ronnie, you know, or, or Ed, or whoever, you're, you're deacon, so I'm just going to go ahead and submit myself to you in all things. But I will say to my deacon body, how's my heart? How's my words? How's my actions? How am I doing? Am I living out Christ? Submit. And here's the other thing. Because we're a family, we should have the authority and the liberty and the freedom to be like, James, man, quit acting like Richard all the time. We should be able to carry out certain things to where whenever we're off or whenever we're being too negative or too critical or too judgmental or just saying something that we shouldn't say, that our friends had the, the liberty that our brothers and sisters in Christ can say, what's going on with you today? What's going on with this? We don't need to do this. Or if you really have a problem with Jonathan, why don't you call him and talk about it instead of being mad about everything? We should be the kind of people that says, I'm not going to listen to all your complaints. If you got an issue, go take it to your connect group teacher. Go take it to whoever you had that issue with. Check yourself, check your friends. And if you're still wondering what's going on in this, what I would say is check your fruit. Check your fruit. I mean, are, are you the kind of people who has, you know, fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit abounding in your heart and your life? Are you defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Are you controlled by the Spirit of God? Are you always angry? Are you always flying off the handle? Check your fruit. Because if the Spirit of God is living and dwelling within you, you should have the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. And if not, you won't. And we can sit here and be like, you know what? I'm too old to change. Forget that. That is not true. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring our hearts and making us alive and fresh. And until we get to heaven, Jesus is not done working on any of us. And as you see things that are not pleasing to God, if you have any past hang-up or hurt or issues with someone, if you haven't dealt with things in a godly way, just say this. Starting today, I will correct my sin. 